You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. guys welcome to pulse to the wall uh tonight on the podcast we're interviewing adam patrick who has uh, an upstart podcast called you're talking over me and first of all adam i love that name i just picture like some drunk scottishman like you're talking over me you know he's just like pissed and uh and it's a it's a great you know name for a, a podcast you're talking a lot and uh um anyway i could see that adam had all these guests on and he's been you know he had a podcast with pete canonas recently where they were talking about the LP and everything going on. And what I wanted to talk about tonight is over the last year, I mean, really since the beginning of COVID, um, you started to see this fracturing in the Liberty movement where you had all these people that were loosely aligned. We'll say like in the, the Misesian uh, Ron Paul Liberty movement um, started dividing into different camps. And a couple of things that happened is the LPMC started to really gain some steam. That's the Mises caucus. And then we also had these, these uh, people that were like Vin Armani that were saying the system's going to hell, just save yourself, you know, build a lifeboat. Don't try to change the system, um, which is a compelling message to me for sure. And then you also had um, not, not right at the beginning of COVID, but over the last year, I would say there are people that I really enjoy listening to like Pete Canonez and Matt Erickson who have taken this kind of approach of uh of what's been described as post-libertarianism that's very influenced by like Mencius Moldbug um, and some others. And then who's the other group of people? Then there's, there's like the loser brigade that's not even worth talking about. I mean, they're irrelevant. And, uh, and then there are like the Eric Brakey, Tho Bishop, Tho, sorry, Tho Bishop types that are advocating using the GOP and influencing the GOP to, you know, achieve our aims. And, Personally, I'm not sure what I think is the best strategy moving forward. I listen to all these people talk and I find it compelling. So Adam, you've been in this space having these discussions. Where are you sitting right now? And where were you a year ago? Oh, man. So I'll tell you, we kind of talked briefly in the pre-show about it. I I will say that I'm, I, I said at the time I was the most confused I think I've ever been in this space. But at the same time, that's incredibly liberating because it's, you know, having called myself a libertarian uh, quite definitively over my lifetime, uh, I always called myself philosophically anarchist. I never called myself an anarchist because I don't I don't know what that means. But uh, I've also been in the in the bar and restaurant industry for almost, uh, over 16 years now. And I felt like I just was the most intellectually lazy I had ever been in my life over that decade and a half where I kind of, you know, if you were to tune into you know, part of the problem right now, Dave Smith's show, that was the last 15 years of my life before COVID. Every, anytime somebody would ask me something, I would respond with the requisite Mises Rothbard 
you know, placation that everybody would say in this space. And then COVID hit. And I think this, this is the reason why all of these ideas that you just mentioned there in the intro are resonating so well, because the, the theory, the philosophy of libertarianism, <clears throat> which we should just define as Rothbardian anarcho-capitalism, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about libertarianism here, I think, or at least I am. Those were put to the test in 2020 because of COVID and all of that intellectual laziness had to go out the window and we had to say, okay, well, we're not in peacetime anymore. Like sure. It's easy to talk about the wars in the, in the middle East, but they're not directly affecting our lives, right? It's really still theory. It's our money's being stolen by the Fed, and it's, you know, we're bankrolling the military industrial complex. It's, it's quite abstract in the real world. Now, when you're locked in your home and your business is ripped away from you, it makes you start to question things in reality. And it, and it should. The, the, the issue for me was when I looked at the, you know, legacy libertarians that we'll call them here for just posterity purposes, uh, they were not changing their mindset. They were not looking to evolve their way of thinking. And they seemed to be almost unfazed by what was happening during COVID, especially the National Libertarian Party. And I just found that to be completely fucking absurd. And I can swear here, right? Please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I found it fucking absurd. And, you know, the, the Mises Caucus, which, which I'm a part of, for better or for worse, on a national level, uh, I, I feel like is kind of just as absurd. I'm probably going to bother everybody during this, so just fair warning. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make any friends here. But um, anybody who, in June 2021, who's still living in June 2019, uh, should be immediately disregarded as anybody worth listening to. And if you're in the Libertarian Party, you're in the Libertarian space, you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, anybody who hasn't had their life, their philosophy, their mentality, uh, their, their learning, their growth, uh, affected by this last year and a half, immediately dismiss them. They're not worth your time. And, and for me, it was, let me pay attention to the people who are who are affected by this and who are talking about this and other than the loser brigade it's all the people that you mentioned there in the intro and that really was it was you know I, i'd never really listened to free man beyond the wall before the lockdown I, i'd never heard of it it was it was pete having on vin armani and it was pete having on curtis yarvin that made me focus so much on what he was talking about and the heterodoxy of that show that made me start asking questions and uh getting involved with uh, talking to Matt Erickson and, and trying to figure out what we're, what we're trying to do here. And what we kind of all, the conclusion we kind of all came to separately was this idea of Rothbardian anarcho-capitalism doesn't have any praxis. There is no way to get from point A to point B, or let's say point A to point Z, right? There's, that, there's those 24 letters in the middle that nobody wants to have a conversation about. It's just, you get rid of the state and we'll have this and, and people will just get along. So there's voluntary interactions. It'll, it'll just, that'll just work. And I, I don't think that that makes any fucking sense at all. And I think a lot of the people in the space came to that same conclusion that people don't, they don't want libertarianism. It is on paper, a beautiful way to think. It's a beautiful philosophy. It, it's a perfect philosophy, but we have to ask ourselves as libertarians or whatever you want to call yourself, 
why it is that beautiful philosophy is something that nobody fucking wants, right? If it's so beautiful, if it's so perfect, if it's designed to get us to point Z, this utopian state of, you know, and Kapistan, why the fuck does nobody want to listen to it? And they dismiss it as childish and irrelevant. And when we start asking that question, then we start working towards praxis. And I think that is where many of us in this space are, are, are starting to spend the majority of our time. Does that answer your question? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's really like my ideas have been challenged, um, more in the last year and like my, my worldview of the current paradigm we're in have been challenged more in the last year than they have been in the past five years. I think it was 2016 when I really went down like the Rothbardian rabbit hole and became, I, I, I like you, I never called myself an anarchist. I was just always in favor of decentralizing. I'm like, I'm just a decentralizationist, like to, to put it, you know, as abstractly as possible. And, you know, when, when all of this happened, let's say like the last year we witnessed the greatest culture war in American history, at least in, at least like, you know, since the civil war, I would say like, it's never been this heated where these battles are being fought. Libertarians who pride themselves on, oh, we're for sound fiscal policy and for protecting civil liberties. In the last year, we just watched the most insane central bank activity we've ever seen. We had a crazy civil liberties crackdown with people getting arrested for going to their local church service for, for operating their businesses. And where were libertarian ideas for that giant event? It's like, if this was a bar fight and there's a giant brawl going on, libertarians were like this guy, like in the corner, shadow boxing by himself. Like we were completely irrelevant. Like we, like the idea that the fed was, was going crazy, did not crack it into the mainstream at all. It was just not in the ether. And that really made me question things. And listening to somebody like, uh, like Matt Erickson, he's saying like, if this is so great, why aren't people buying it? Mm -hmm. And that's a serious question we have to grapple with. And you have the LPMC, who's saying, well, see, we have this very impotent uh, libertarian national party and they're not inspiring to people, which is like completely fair. Like they, they do suck at face value. All these people that um, have been running the party for decades have been an utter failure at getting more than 1% of the, the votes all the time. And, uh, and it's like, okay, so when it comes to what should be done from here, it's like, well, of course I'd love to see the establishment of the LP thrown out and have like real libertarians brought in. I think that's completely valid, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, what's the end game? Like right now the Mises caucus is taking over the LP and then the goal is to what win seats federally. I mean, in the national elections. And that's like going from, uh, you know, like an amateur fighter, like, oh, we're going to fight some local scrub. And then we're going to jump in there with like the best boxers in the world. Like it just seemed like it's a huge step up. So I think that may be futile, although I'd love to see it actually happen. And it looks like it's going to. And then um, honestly, the most inspiring thing that I heard was like Vin Armani's story of going to Saipan and just kind of getting off the grid and becoming self-sufficient. So and then the, the real pragmatic thing, which a lot of libertarians and their purism have written off, which is somebody like Ron DeSantis, who is not a libertarian. He's very imperfect on foreign policy and all these things, but he's actually fighting back effectively against the cathedral sort of establishment uh, progressive policies. And I think it's foolish for libertarians to reject like, oh, Ron DeSantis isn't a libertarian, so we can't we can't get our support behind him, which if he runs in 2024 against Joe Biden, like that's a no brainer that we should actually support that guy and hope that 
the Mises caucus puts up a candidate that actually gets the message to people. So that's sort of where I'm at. I'm not in any camp. One thing, just for the record, it'd be Kamala, not Biden. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Can, can, can we just say right now that we hope that Biden lives until he's 120? Because we don't deserve him. We really don't. <laughs> no. He's such a gift from God to, to listen oh. to that guy go out and blather on about fucking pizza or whatever the hell he talks about. I mean, <laughs> if you thought Trump was a treat, which I did, I mean, this guy is an evolution. Of it's a, just so co- two stages of evolution above Trump as far as fucking just making me <laughs> laugh my ass off every time he says something. So, yeah, I, I feel like internally we just don't deserve him as a human being. But yeah, um, uh, I find it just like so comical, though, that if you if you were just looking objectively from the outside and if you were like an alien, it's like, wow, there are 200 million adults or so in this country and they're going through all this hell right now. And that's who they put in charge. Interesting. Well, that, that shows you something, doesn't it, about yeah. what the, the mainstream or what, you know. OK, so the, the Libertarian Party is selling libertarianism, right? Even prior to the Mises caucus, they're selling a better brand of liberty than we've seen in mainstream national politics in our lifetime. Right. And the overwhelming majority of the people in the country wanted Joe Biden, his incapacitated, blithering idiot self to be their leader. That should tell you right there why libertarianism is not appealing. Right. It, 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 you are selling something that only libertarians will buy. And that is a messaging and marketing problem that falls on them, not on the buyer. Right. So if, if I'm selling, um, I don't know, coffee mugs and nobody's buying them, I can't get mad at the customer base that doesn't exist for not buying my coffee mugs. It's, it's I'm clearly not doing the job of positioning myself well. And I have to look at and look at it and say, well, you know, uh, I'm selling coffee in, I don't know, Barbados where people want daiquiris. You know, am I am I even am I even pitching a message that is even are people even capable of wanting to buy? And it seems to me that libertarianism is just not that thing. And if we're looking at the Libertarian Party, the Libertarian Party under Sorwark, right, under Nikki Boy, is was a better political party than the Libertarian Party will be now moving forward or under the Mises Caucus as a political party as something designed to, you know, fight for winning elections or to work within electoral politics, it was better than the Mises Caucus will run it. Now, I don't know if the Mises Caucus, the the idea of messaging and marketing, uh, I don't see like a bunch of immature children doing that well. And uh, I I would say that because a lot of the people involved in the, the MC nationally are honest, good, true, caring, normal human beings that they're not cut out for this because you can't really be involved in national politics and be like a regular caring human empathetic uh, empathetic human you you have to be like a sarwark you have to be this devious behind the scenes passive aggressive fucking douchebag in order to make those <laughs> things work and you can see how he if you watch sarwark on twitter you can see how he maneuvers to get under people's skin like how he never really says anything incendiary but sort of hints at stuff to get you to react and then when you react you look like the crazy motherfucker right and and his way of doing that it's something that you have to be you have to be a politician to do that and i don't see anybody in the mises caucus that while they have passion and caring and empathy and love for what they're doing they're not machiavellian because you can't be both you can't be a normal human being and be machiavellian so i i don't think the national lp that that the mises caucus will achieve 
what they want to achieve. I, as a matter of fact, I think it's going to backfire um, quite explicitly. Now, on the local level, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. You, you can network with people like here in Connecticut, the people I know in the Mises Caucus of the LP in Connecticut. Um, we talk about agorism all the time. We talk about backing Republican candidates all the time. It's a very utilitarian way of looking at politics. Um, when I look at Twitter, when I look at these ridiculous LNC Zoom calls, um, they're embarrassing. It's an embarrassing thing to watch. It, it's, it, you have to turn, it's cringe as fuck. You have to turn it off and go, I don't want to be associated with these people. They're fucking children. What are you <laughs> arguing about? Like the decorum. It's just, it's really bad. And I feel like the Mises caucus, I, we kind of knew this from the beginning that it was going to go this way. Just nobody wanted to say it because all of the detractors were saying it too. And you don't want to agree with them, but you can see it going off the rails real fucking fast. And I, I figured we would just make fun of them first before we get on to the, the other things that you talked about. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think Dave Smith is better served doing a podcast. I think the LP is better served. I, I, I get it. I get it that, you know, we don't want to see a party that calls itself libertarian act non-libertarian. I get that's the impetus to take it over. Then he, here's my suggestion. Don't call yourself a libertarian. Call yourself something else and carry on productively aside from that shit and leave it there. Let it let it die. Let it be alone. Yeah, I, I uh, definitely I've also been distancing myself from the word libertarian to describe myself. If somebody knows, um, like they're well versed in the political compass, I'll say like, yeah, I'm a right wing libertarian just for general decentralizing um, if somebody knows. But to a, a normal average person, it's a very misleading and just muddy watered term. Um, so I wanted to, to talk about one thing real quick. You talked about how uh, libertarianism is a tough sell. People don't want to buy it. And I've been trying to figure this out. We've been talking about it on the podcast for months with different guests. Like, what was it that made Ron Paul's campaign different? Like, is that just lightning in a bottle that we, we may never see again? What was it exactly that actually got millions of people to follow him? And I remember we asked uh, Matt Erickson this, and he said that he thinks that for the first time in decades, Ron Paul was just like this honest old man who was telling yes. the truth. And yes. it wasn't it wasn't that people yeah. bought into Austrian economics or mm -hmm. anything like that. And I think that's, that's honestly, it's true. And I, I don't think, I mean, the media assassinated his, his presidential campaign and he never stood a chance of actually winning, even if it was, you know, in a fair fight, he would have been elected possibly. But um, it, it was kind of like you're talking about, like you need to be a Machiavellian to take this kind of power and it's inherently against, you know, true libertarian principles. So it, it kind of leaves us in this position where it's like, okay, this isn't doable for us because it's it's not who you are. Like, I think Michael Heiss, every time I listen to that guy talk, I'm like, he just seems like a really good dude who really cares about actually saving the world. Like, mm -hmm. he's very genuine. Mm -hmm. I don't see him playing games where he's actually, like, fucking people over and getting his policies through. It just doesn't seem like who he is. So I completely get your point about what you're saying. You, you know, people have to remember with Ron Paul, uh, well, first of all, you're, you and apparently Matt are 100 percent right. It, in order to, in order to make a splash like that, he had to come out on the stage with Rudy Giuliani and say something that was so antithetical to what people were, were listening to or wanted to hear at that time in order to make that splash. And if you pull that to today, I mean, the episode that um, with with Matt Erickson on Pete's show that dropped today, I mean, Matt's Twitter follow followers went up. 400 people in like five hours 
So when, when you're <laughs> dropping new ideas on uh, on an audience that's looking that that is receptive to it naturally, th that is a movement that 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 creates itself emergently, right? If you're trying to do that on purpose, if you're trying to create emergent order purposefully, well, it's not going to work. That's not that like Dave Smith's idea of uh, recreating the Ron Paul movement. Well, the reason that's not going to work is because it's not spontaneous. It's not off the cuff. It's not right there. You're, you're trying to do it and it, it, it's never going to work that way. So, sorry, what's the second part of your question? <laughs> oh God, we were flowing pretty well there. Yeah. What was it? Okay. So <laughs> not selling it's hard sell. And then, uh, Oh, and then, and then like you were talking about people within the LPMC that are just good, honest people. Um, I, I can't oh, remember right. who it was, who it was that I was, maybe it was on Erickson and, uh, and Pete's podcast from today, but they were saying that the LPMC will be just like in the mainstream media. If they succeed, they'll be the new proud boys. Like they mm. will be smeared yeah. so fast. Yeah, well, yeah, it'll, be, it'll be even worse than the proud boys because the proud boys are emergent order in and of themselves. So they have something they are doing outside of the political realm. That's like a fraternity. Right? They're not trying to influence politics so much as they're trying to disrupt social culture, right? Like the, the general society that's going on right now, that they have kind of an emergent purpose. Everything in the Mises caucus is being orchestrated and designed by people who don't belong in the forum that they're in, right? They don't, and this is to their credit as human beings, that they're good, honest, caring people who really want to see positive change happen in the world. Well, politics isn't where you do that. That's not your forum, right? If you want to do something about create a, a podcast or you want to go out and, and grassroots campaign or you want to talk to people, you know, in community le at the community level and forums like that, I think that's that's really good. I, I don't see any real organization or leadership in the Mises caucus. I don't see anyone directing other people how to maneuver in this space. And so I, I think I, uh, the, the people at the top level, right, Heist, Dave Smith, Angela McCardle, they're very good people, very well-intentioned people. Their, their most ardent followers are childish ideologues who are getting themselves in over their head in something they don't fully understand that will end up hurting not just them, but everybody involved. And when you talk, when, when you try to bring this up to Dave, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He wants to be not, he, he will ostracize you immediately and say he's not responsible for other people's actions and yet go out there and call for the nation to follow him and listen to him. It, it's incredibly destabilizing and really um, dangerous. It's very, very dangerous what he's doing. And a lot of people have said this to him. Ben Armani said this to him. Sal Mayweather said this to him. I've said this to him. The only real, the only interaction I've ever had on Twitter with Dave was me saying just what I said to you. And he didn't want anything to do with that. He's like, it's not my, that, that's not my problem people are grown adults. They could do what they want. I'm like, they're fucking not. They're fucking not, man. You know what you're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. And they will blindly follow you to the point where they'll fucking January 6th your ass, dude. And, and you're going to get associated with something like that because you can't control this. You don't know what you're doing. You're not, you think you're Ron Paul from 2008 and you're not. It doesn't work like that. There, there's equity built up in somebody like Ron Paul who worked for decades in his community to get to where he got. And you're trying to recreate it. It's, it's incredibly fucking dangerous to do what he's doing. And so many people have tried to say that and he wants something to do with it. And so at some point yeah. you wash your hands of it and move on.
it doesn't help that he's calling himself the libertarian Tupac. It's like, Dave, I, I love the spirit, but you should not be calling your naming yourself after a guy who was assassinated in the height of his career. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you could call yourself that when you're running a top level podcast, right? right? It's it's an uh, you know provocative way to get people to listen to your show where you're talking about current events, politics, whatever. Dave, Dave was doing that very well. Right. Sticking his hat into this ring means you are involving yourself in something where people can get actually hurt. And that, that is irresponsible and dangerous. And somebody needs to really come out and say that so that people start to think about what they're doing here. Now, of course, this is not going to resonate with most people, but it's not wrong. Well, what you're what you're saying is uh, I honestly haven't considered this that deeply uh, when we're talking about the end game of the Mises caucus. And it's it's not even like a, a hidden idea. It's their mission statement is to have a revolution, like a, a real revolution. Like first you take over the LP and then you take over national policy and state and, and local and everything. And talking about disbanding the military industrial complex and auditing the Federal Reserve, things that we've been cheering on for a lot of us for a decade. Um, but what actually happens when you start to get there? I mean, you're, you're talking serious, dirty politics. And that's why listening to, uh, I think Tho Bishop has such a compelling argument. Um, you know, apart from just having like the coolest name in the Liberty movement, Tho Bishop just sounds, sounds cooler than Dave Smith. No offense to Dave, but, um, <laughs> generic. but yeah, but I mean, you know, I remember Dave having this criticism of Bernie Sanders uh, during the presidential campaign in 2016 and 2020, where he said that he's like, Bernie just doesn't have any killer instinct. Mm. And that really, it rang true to me. I'm like, yeah, this guy, he doesn't have killer instinct. He's a true believer in his ideology. Yeah. And I, I think he cares and believes that democratic socialism will actually like save the world. But I don't think he has what it takes to actually like fight the DNC and win an election. He clearly didn't. He demonstrated it twice. He bent the knee. And when I like, okay, I'm in, uh, we're both in the, uh, the Mises caucus Facebook page. I think there's something like 10,000 people on that page. And when we're talking about having a political revolution and you think about what needs to be done to do that and the fight that you're in for, and I look at the posts and all the people in the Mises caucus, my thought isn't that these people are savages ready to take over, a, you know, the establishment it's, these are like very well-read nice, knowledgeable, friendly, well-adjusted people. Mm. And that mm. is, it's not at all an insult in broad strokes. Right. Yeah. However, it, it shows that you right. are not well-equipped to take on the fight that you're about to take on if you succeed. And I, I, like I said, I think they will take over the libertarian party. They have all the momentum, but I don't think they're ready for the onslaught of both the media and the uh, GOP and DNC that they're going to unleash on them. Um, you know, when they succeed. Oh, I, I don't think it's even going to get that far. I, I do think the Mises caucus will take over the libertarian party and here's what will happen, right? They will, they will basically force the other cockeye caucuses or whatever to <laughs> disband <laughs> and, and all of the, all of those people will figure out a way to use Machiavellian tactics to infiltrate the Mises caucus and destroy it from within. That, that is what's going to happen. There will never be, the Mises Caucus will never get to the point where they are a player on a national level in order to be considered the Proud Boys. It just will never happen. And mm -hmm. it, it, if, it, if it does, it will be because whomever assumes the leadership of the Libertarian Party, if they're Mises Caucus oriented or they're favorable to that idea, 
they will water down the message and they'll become just as milk toast as Dave has become. That, that's the only way that it will work. So either the message is going to get diluted or it will get retaken over by the same people that are pushing out right now. Either way, it will never, it's just my opinion, but probably right. It will never get to the point where it matters to anyone outside of the LP. That, that's, that's how I see the pattern playing out from the inside. And even if I step out and look at it, it's even more pronounced. Now, the, the, the idea uh, that Tho Bishop is talking about, and I know Eric Brakey a little bit, but uh, I, I follow Tho a little bit more closely. He's a little bit more aligned in my social circle. His idea is very much not to take over the Republican Party. It's that you, you use a bigger platform to get your ideas across in a much more adult and professional way. And Tho's got a great background. I mean, his father is, is an incredible writer, thinker, you know, uh, political guy. So the pedigree is there to be able to put this stuff forward. And, and nobody is under the illusion that Tho Bishop is not just capable of, but even wants to take over the Republican Party. It's just that he sees that as a better forum for this message. And, and he's not wrong. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to be massively effective, but it, it could... It couldn't be less effective than what the LP is currently doing nationally. Um, even on a local level, it's probably equal to what the LP could accomplish uh, on a municipal local level, right, or a county level. Uh, on a national level, I, I mean, it's not even close. And, and but th th that's probably as as political as I would even go. Uh, I, I tend to err on the side that I think all of that is a waste of time. So it would be like the difference between what the bishop is talking about and what Michael Heiss is talking about or Dave Smith is sort of like being the tallest midget in the room. And I don't, I don't know if you're trying to play like an NBA finals series, if that shit really matters that much, I, I would be more aligned with the apolitical or dare I say it, accelerationist point of view um, as a tactic to get us where we want to go. Um, but yeah, the LP, I, I just, I have to emphasize it. It's a complete fucking waste of time. Yeah, it's, um, you know, that the debate that Phil Bishop and Dave Smith had on Lions of Liberty, um, I went into listening to that. I, I'd heard the name Phil Bishop maybe once or twice. Never. I wasn't on Twitter. I, I didn't really pay attention to what he had to say. I've listened to Dave for years. I'm a huge fan. He's one of my uh, intellectual heroes. Um, you know, I, I did it I thought going into it. I'm going to be on Dave's side. Like, oh, I've been listening long enough. Whatever Dave says is probably going to be where I stand. But by the end of it, I was like, damn, like they'll made a really compelling argument. And I'm not saying I had a winner in mind, but I feel like if I sat down with, with Dave after that and had a beer or though, I would like either one could sell me on their idea. If it was a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I was so mm -hmm. undecided. And that's why it's just a very confusing time, but hearing what you're saying now and hearing what uh, Matt was saying on Pete's show, it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded to, uh, I, I, I promised it. myself I wouldn't call anybody retarded on this episode. I, <laughs> I said, I feel like I'm going to call somebody retarded and I don't want to do that. I, I, I do want to just make that I have a lot of respect for all of these people, a lot of personal right. respect for them. And the only reason that I would ever offer an opinion on, on any of this is out of love for them as people and the work they put in in the past and currently that I, I would never talk about, you know, Dave Smith this way if I didn't. Uh, respect him, appreciate him, and love him for everything he's done, and and his audience, and all of the people in this community. Like we are, we are like like Pete Pete said, uh, a family who's never all met each other, and right. that kind of love 
it, all of this comes from a good place. It comes from a place of, of worrying about the outcome and, and seeing an end game that isn't, isn't productive. And, and, you know, to talk about end games that are productive, you know, you mentioned uh, Vin Armani earlier and Vin was somebody who really affected the first like half of this show, like the first maybe 30 episodes of the show, 40 episodes of the show before I started getting more into the Matt Erickson kind of thing that we're doing now, that idea of religion, meaning, purpose, the God-shaped hole in man's heart that Pascal talked about, the tearing down fences, you know, without knowing what they were built for, those ideas resonated with me so deeply. And what the conclusion I came to, which seems to be the conclusion that almost everybody comes to separately, is that libertarianism is almost unnecessary as a philosophy. And I was just messaging with Matt right before the show, trying to figure out a way to kind of distill this down into like a like an elevator talk, kind of three sentence talking point of what we're trying to do. And, and I said, why don't we just imagine that libertarianism or Rothbardian anarcho-capitalism just never existed? Like it never, it just wipe it off the face of history. Uh, it never existed. W what would we be thinking now? And I don't have an answer for that. The, the one conclusion I've drawn is that libertarianism is Christianity minus Christ. And it seems to me if you just got rid of libertarianism, you already have the template there to not hurt people and take their stuff. So it seems to me to be atheistically redundant. So yeah, and I'm absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you went there um, because, I mean, we actually interviewed Vin back in March. And uh, the podcast, we were just talking about like Saipan and I don't even know how we got to it, but we started talking about like God and religion and faith and all these really deep things that I was blindsided by. And I was happy to have it. I mean, it was a, it was honestly, it left a huge impact on me and kind of uh, re-examining my past and, and my beliefs and everything. And uh, Mike and I were both raised very devout Catholic. Um, and I would say by the time I was like 17 or 18, um, I had kind of like learned about the scan the scandals in the Catholic church and all of these inconsistencies. And I, I wasn't intellectually satisfied with any answer I heard from a priest or anybody on these issues. So I sort of drifted away from the church and the practice in general. And, um, and, and in that absence, I, I didn't become an atheist or anything like that. I always, I would say I believed in God, but I, I didn't have like a clear, I didn't have that higher ideal very deeply distilled in me. And it was a few years later that I discovered uh, it was Dave Smith on Rogan where I had been a fan of Ron Paul. He was a uh, running for president in 2012 when I was a senior in high school. And, but it wasn't until a few years later mm -hmm. that I heard Dave Smith and then started going down this libertarian rabbit hole. And I'm like, okay, this is like the moral code that is the the highest ideal, like that that can like kind of become the social fabric of our society. And you know, years later, I, I come to the conclusion, full circle, that that isn't where it's at. Like Vin said in the podcast we had with him, all of these, like there are no real new ideas that you hear anymore. Like everything are there, it's like the repackaging of very old ideas. And like you just said, Christianity is very closely aligned with libertarianism, but it begs the question, okay, why do you need, like Christianity is tried and true. It's been around much longer. It's more popular. So what is really the point of libertarianism right. as a belief system? And, and when you said that just now, it, it really rang true with me. It's like, 
you know, it's, it's kind of forced me to go back and say, okay, where do my beliefs actually come from? And I think it has much more to do with my upbringing and like the society I grew up in, in general, more than it has to do with a political philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so even if you're an atheist living in the Western world, right, your, your system of morality is still congruent with Christian beliefs because that's how you're raised. Right. right. Everything in the Western world, everything from Western Europe all the way over here, it's it's all Christian values. I mean, the entire country was founded on Christian values. Now, you, you can deny that you are a Christian. You can say that you don't believe in God. That's totally fine. But your morality is still is still stemming from your upbringing in this particular culture. So when I listen to like a Hitchens or a Dawkins or a Hicks or somebody like that who's an atheist, well, they agree with me or you or anybody else on what the morality is. Everybody agrees, don't hurt people and take their stuff. They just take the God out of it. Now, they're smart enough to understand how to live in polite society without hurting other people and taking their stuff. The problem is, again, with the followers, right, quote unquote, those atheists, those people um, are debaucherous lunatics, right, who... Who, who lead society down the path of the church of woke, right? That they, they are the ones who, you know, don't understand or don't have the intellect or, you know, don't have the capability or upbringing or structure, order, hierarchy in their lives to be able to disseminate morality um, in a utilitarian way. And so now you have this 100 to 120 year old, you know, pattern of the church of woke that is an atheistic religion, right? Because we are, as I said earlier, like bred or evolved or have this innate need to fill our, the hole in our hearts with meaning and purpose. Well, they fill it with what? Masks, Trump, anything <laughs> that they could possibly find to fill it with. And understand that, understand this innate need for meaning and purpose and follow the logic train of which one of those paths takes you where you want to go. Right. Do, do you want to go church of woke or do you want to go like right wing structure, order and hierarchy? Because it seems to me if we go back and look through the historical cycles and patterns, one of those things destroys civilization and the other one ends up pretty well for people involved. So I, I think that that really I, I don't want to speak for Ben, but I feel like that was his kind of main argument is, you know, he's he's all in. God, Christ, Eastern Orthodox. Uh, I'm not quite there myself. I'm still kind of exploring it. But I, I would say understand that no matter what, religion is inevitable. And people are going to find their religion regardless. You might as well give them or help them or help promote the one that gets you to a place of peace and prosperity and good, honest truth than the one that leads you to chaos, destruction, and disorder. Yeah. You know, you know, Nick and I had a very similar, um, like I said, upbringing when it came to the uh, religious beliefs and all that. You know, we didn't really talk about it much when we were going through it together. We both kind of like stopped going to church, never really discussed it. And neither of us became atheists or anything like that, like Nick said. Um, and I was kind of the same as Nick. He he got big into uh, libertarianism and turned me onto it. And then we started talking about these ideas all the time. And then um, once I got married and had kids, it's kind of like it came full circle where it's like, Okay, I'm glad I never threw the whole baby out with the bathwater to religion. So I never denied there was a God. And now I'm like definitely leading back towards it. And, you know, our family goes to church now. And, 
just a non-denominational Christian thing. And I just like the positivity element of it. We have mm. community. We meet people. It's nothing but positivity. We're not worshiping man as the highest power. Um, and I think it's a, a healthy environment to, to have everyone, all the kids in, because if I don't do that, well, the school's going to replace that with something else. And, you know, right now that's my biggest challenge is what are my alternate paths to get them out of public schools? Because they are basically trying to make my kids into my enemies by sending mm-hmm. them there. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, I'd much rather have religion as the answer than having someone else occupy that that need. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't quite figured out or reconciled the accelerationist points that are very appealing to me with everything else that's appealing to me. I, I don't quite know because when I hear something like that, my first instinct is how quickly can we collapse that that aspect of society and rebuild? The problem is there we, we haven't yet uh, as right wing anarchists or whatever you want to call what, what we're doing here. We haven't yet created the structures in order to have the failsafe there to accelerate to that point, right? Because if you accelerate past all that, if you get all of this shit to just fucking collapse as soon as possible, because you're trying to control the collapse, there has to be this sort of trampoline at the end or pillow or something to catch people. And we haven't developed that yet. We haven't figured out how to get there yet. And so if I'm trying to mash all these ideas together in my head, my first instinct is to try to figure out how to create the system first and then sort of push all of that off the cliff. But I, I don't think you could have one without the other because I feel like this, this structure we're currently living under, this governance, this uh, statecraft that we're currently living under probably has like another 150 years left in it before it really fizzles out. I don't think it's going to be as quick as people think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we can save enough people in the meantime without pushing it a little bit farther. Um, There's a lot to that. There's a lot of like Nick Land in there. There's a little bit of Yarvin in there. Uh, You know, my own personal way of looking at it is to kind of fracture the left and the right a little bit more. So we, I know who my people are and who they aren't. And COVID kind of did that for us. But then there's the, you know, Yarvin concept of the clear pill, which makes a lot of sense to me too, right? Where you just disassociate and you stop granting power to the system by paying attention to it at all. And that seems to me to be the opposite of accelerationism, even though he's sort of called an accelerationist. And it harkens back to, I've talked about this a little bit on, on Twitter and on some shows the past couple of weeks, but Ernst Jünger's um, uh, Eimer which he wrote and he developed the concept of the anarch. And the anarch is to the anarchist what the monarch is the monarchist and essentially the anarch would be like the Thoreau or the Kaczynski that sort of walks off into the wilderness and leaves the whole thing alone. Well, I didn't realize this, but Yarvin's clear pill is directly influenced by Jünger's anarch. And he said that on pot. I didn't realize that, but it makes total uh-huh. sense now that you think about it. When you start thinking about gray mare for the nihilist prince, what's well, totally influenced by that idea. So when I said originally that it leaves me very confused, it seems like all of these, everything except political libertarian party, which makes no sense to me, all of the rest of this stuff makes a lot of sense to me. And I just want to keep growing the ideas and having the conversations until it all starts clicking because I feel like, like it is, like it is clicking. The fact that Matt and Pete had that conversation, the fact that Tho's getting on board, the fact that, you know, popular liberty is talking about his concept of archotropism on a couple of different shows. And it seems that, 
it seems that people are hungry for these ideas that maybe we didn't realize how hungry libertarians were for something they didn't know they wanted and how easy it was to sell that idea in you know eight hours when you can barely sell libertarianism to anyone in 50 years right yeah and and uh you know when you're talking about the whole kind of like secede um i mean it's really closely aligned with like agorism like this idea that you just kind of secede from the system you don't try to fight it you just mm -hmm. insulate yourself the best you can and i mean that's that's honestly a very freeing thing in and of itself it's like the sort of political strategy is that we need to win a fight and the other strategy is that you know if you can avoid a fight then you avoid the fight like you don't need to get in a fight if you don't need to and uh you know i'll have to admit that one of my guilty pleasures of of uh content that i consume every once in a while in small doses is owen benjamin because mm -hmm. i still think the dude's hilarious even though he's somewhat mm -hmm. gone off the deep end but i mean man the guy you have to admit he was right about some things uh recently <laughs> i mean i remember listening to uh i'm like oh, i wonder what owen benjamin's thinking back uh like last may and june and people are talking about all the COVID lockdowns and all this stuff. He's like, oh, what do I do about it? Listen, goats, land, raised bed gardens. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. <laughs> like, you just, you kind of like get away from that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. You, you know, the other great thing about him is he, um, he was talking about like just popping out kids. You know, he's like, oh, you know, I've got whatever three or four at the time. And then I want five. Like, he's keeps on having kids. And there's so many other people I talk to who are, are like intimidated to bring kids into the world right now, which I totally have sympathy with. But at the same time, like I wouldn't let what's going on deprive you of the greatest thing in life either. So mm -hmm. it's like, I, I see both sides of that, but as a father, it's like, I have four kids. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid to have another one because of, of that. It's like, if anything, we need more good minds in this world with good influences. Uh, I, I've been told by multiple people that, I personally am an anomaly in this space because I don't have children and have no ambitions to have children. And that that makes me weird for thinking the way that I do <laughs> and focusing on social order, hierarchy, religion, that usually you find that kind of stuff when you have children. Um, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, you know, Clint from uh, Liberty Lockdown said the same story. You know, he's, he's mm -hmm. doesn't have kids either. And he's he was talking about his like religious awakening on the show. He hasn't quite got there either, but he's a huge fan of Vin Armani. He's like, hey, maybe if I had kids, I would have that awakening, but it hasn't come yet. So, you know, yeah, there's there's definitely others like you out there, too. And, yeah, it's uh, everyone's got their own path. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's actually been probably the most interesting thing is seeing how many people, uh, how many people this message of maybe post-libertarianism appeals to or just, I don't know, fucking with libertarianism in general, how, how, how easy that is to appeal to people. Like how hungry, like I said, how hungry they are for it. It seems like, man, if we had tried this like 15 years ago, maybe we wouldn't be in this position. So it, it's that intellectual laziness or the, the idea that we've got everything figured out and we're no longer allowing ourselves to be intellectually heterodox, to question everything. To, and that's what anarchists are supposed to do. If that's what people call themselves, anarchists. You're supposed to question everything. You're supposed to look at systems and say, well, I don't like that system. Why don't I like that system? Okay, well, now I've developed another. Why don't I like that one? Right? It's not just supposed to be some sort of trite placation of, well, all authority sucks. Because that's just silly. That's a silly way to look at life. You, I mean, authority, unless you want to go be the anarch, 
it's going to exist in your life and you're a byproduct of it. Like you, at that point, you're, you're a grown man or woman or otherwise, and you're, you're a byproduct of your upbringing and you can't deny that. So I don't know. It, it just, it, it's been really uh, validating for me to see all of these ideas that seem so weird and, and crazy just to be accepted so quickly. I think that shows us the weakness of, the ideology, uh, ideology that we kind of um, subscribe to and how, how, how much it needs to evolve in our current age, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And uh, coming, I mean, to pivot just a little bit, um, when it comes to the mission statement of the Mises Caucus, where the idea is that we're trying to red pill as many people as possible, like get the message mm-hmm. out there and, and, you know, change hearts and minds. Um, Part of me thinks that, okay, if you look at the last five years, like the, the, you know, presidential campaign and nomination of Donald Trump, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, COVID, the, the Russia hoax, all of these things, if anybody hasn't caught on to how things work in the last five years, I'm not sure what we can do from here that actually will wake them up. I mean, if you, if you have witnessed and paid attention to everything that's gone on, I'm not sure what speech you're going to hear about the Fed that's going to like really red pill you and unplug you from the matrix. So I think we've kind of hit that critical mass of people already, or at least we're close to it. Right. If the, if the Hunter Biden cover up right before, you know, the October surprise, the laptop, if that didn't wake people up, like the whole lockstep movement to scrub a story that would have demolished Joe Biden. It's like, okay, do you guys really still think the system is, fair and honor and unity or whatever all this shit he's talking about um yeah like you said so, we had a critical mass yeah so the, what we've what, what covid did what covid very specifically did and and probably you know it, it wouldn't have happened if trump wasn't president like if obama or somebody was president during covid it wouldn't have worked this way so i'm gonna take it the way that it worked out because i think it works in my benefit or our benefit um it really split the country and maybe the world, but I don't really pay attention to the rest of the world. It really split the country into one camp and, and another camp and very ideologically aligned left versus right. Uh, people who um, are uh, willing to accept the risks and the joys of, that life affords you as a human being out there uh, enjoying the world and those who think the air is poison. Right. And, and, and that is a beautiful thing. COVID radicalized more people than the Libertarian Party could ever hope to. So let's, if I'm looking at anything that makes tactical or strategic sense here in 2021, it's, well, I don't want to live even next door to somebody who thinks the fucking air is poison, who like sanitizes (laughs) their fucking meatballs when they're walking out of the grocery store. I, I want to be around people who want to give me a hug and have a barbecue and, you know, I don't smoke weed, but if I did, maybe share a joint, like our fucking spit maybe touches the same piece of paper, right? Those are the kind of it, that you want to spend your time around. It, it COVID showed you who those people are and who they're not. And it actually did more for radical decentralization than any libertarian idea in 50 or 60 years. Because now you see people governor shopping, voting with their feet and their wallets to move to Florida or the Dakotas or Texas-ish. You know, places where they feel like they're going to be around like-minded people. That is an incredibly beautiful impetus for radical decentralization. You're, you're seeing the groundwork laid emergently and organically 
because of an outside influence that affected the entire country. That's something that should be what, of course, the LP did not do anything remotely close to capitalizing on, but the GOP did, right? That that was, and DeSantis did. And so anybody who right now who thinks that the Libertarian Party is looking out for their best interests as opposed to Ron DeSantis, well, you're basically just going to take your principles and get on the private, privately owned boxcar taking you to the gulag, telling everybody how fucking principled you are uh, as you get shot in the back of the head. Like, good fucking luck with that. Um, we're yeah. in the governor's shop and vote with our feet and our wallets for the person who's going to protect our life right now until we can figure this out. That's a beautiful thing that we fractured this because this this idea of the United States of America, this idea that we're all one people here and trying to move in the same direction. I don't think anybody fucking wants that. I don't think the left or right or middle. Nobody wants to do that. Like we, we want to be friendly with each other and not fucking hurt each other or hurt each other's feelings. We don't want to live around people who think we're crazy people mm -hmm. or who yeah. are crazy people to us. We don't want to do that. We want to live peacefully with people who think like we do. And so do they. So yeah, it's when, this is good. This is a good thing that's happened. When you talk about the poison air people, um, that reminds me when I went to school to be an aircraft mechanic and the first mm -hmm. day of class, our instructor told us, you know, there's, there's mechanics and there's parts changers. And our goal is to make you guys mechanics, you know, parts changer. They can tell you to go change the spark plug on the third cylinder and they can do it. But a mechanic can tell you why it needs to be changed. They can troubleshoot. And watching all these people throughout COVID, I realized that there's free thinkers and there's information regurgitators. And that's all there is, is people that can go, do you see how crazy this shit is? And then you talk to someone else and they're like, well, Dr. Fauci said once the cases come down to level six, then we can go back to this. And it's like they don't have they're not capable of free thought. And it's like, are, are you are you seriously that that's your stance? Like you you trust these people on the news? And it there are way more of those people that I know in my firsthand anecdotal experience than I would have ever imagined. I mean, religion is inevitable. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, and I are. think uh, the church of woke is inevitable. You know, if, you, if you're that empty and you're searching for something, you found your God. I think you guys, uh, I think your 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 podcast put out a tweet that said something very similar to this within the last week or so. Uh, that you know, the the mask is the talisman, and the vaccine is the baptism, and yep. you know that's that's a great analogy. I mean, it, it's spot fucking on. And you wouldn't need that if you it, you know they wouldn't need that if they were able to get that sense of meaning and purpose from something way more productive for society. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, it's, it's been nothing shy of religious. So yeah, like, like the tweet we put out was about how the, the mask is, it's the yarmulke, it's the crucifix. Yeah. It's, it's the religious symbolism to show everyone on the street where you identify and that you've, that you believe in, and this to be your Lord and savior, the capital S science, um and yeah the mm -hmm. the vaccination mm -hmm. is is the baptism just to show you've been washed clean of the of the yuckiness so <laughs> well and yeah. uh, you know when we uh we're talking about like this whole episode has been about libertarian infighting which has become a meme that every libertarian knows about that the only thing libertarians hate more than progressives or conservatives or other libertarians and uh to me it's true and I mean, it's, it's somewhat necessary to a point, but I mean, I don't even know how necessary it actually is. Like who cares what the label is, just kind of push your beliefs and, and your rhetoric mm -hmm. and everything. Um, but when we, what's, what drives me crazy 
And, you know, part of the problem has been my favorite go-to staple of a podcast for the last five years. And, but I have to admit that like, it's become like half, uh, just kind of libertarian party stuff. And I find it exhausting because right now we're living through the greatest paradigm shift of the 21st century and probably of the last century since world war two, we're witnessing like the craziest changing of the guard and, and all of this new stuff coming in. And we're spending all of our time talking about this stuff. It's like, okay. Yeah. I mean the loser brigade brigade, they suck. Like they're terrible. Um, you can have your, your debates about taking over the GOP or the LP. Meanwhile, we have things like vaccine passports coming into New York and the fed is, is doing things they've never dreamt of. And so are foreign governments and all these things. And while we're all busy fighting with each other, the world is burning down around us. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't find it particularly useful to to keep the infighting going while this is happening. And I think if we could like if we could just kind of summarize uh, what we could all agree the best policy is moving forward right now, it's vote with your feet. It's work on the local level and uh, don't engage in political fights that you don't have to. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I, I do, and I do want to just uh, add on to that and say that I, I don't. I mean, I, I pay enough attention to national libertarian politics in order to have these conversations, but I spend almost 0% of my time focusing on any of that. Like, I, I'm just aware enough of it to be able to talk to you right now. And, but, <laughs> but no energy of mine is spent on the Zoom calls or paying any attention to any of that bullshit. Uh, I think it's all silly. If I do anything, I do it locally with very good people here in my own community who are focused on, you know, changing our own town or neighborhood. Um, the rest of it is I would just advise everybody to ignore it and let it die a peaceful death that you never even have to see. It's a complete fucking waste of time. And it's one of the reasons if you want to compare, you know, part of the problem with Free Man Beyond the Wall, uh, one of the reasons it's getting to the point that I don't want to. I hate to put Pete and Dave in this position. Uh, I'm kind of uncomfortable doing it, but you're, it's almost getting to the point where you have to pick one or the other. And I think that's going to be a reality in the next year. And I know everyone's probably going to stay friendly in that circle, like regardless of their, your, their pick, but I don't know how you could listen to Freeman and part of the problem in the same day. I don't know how that's even possible at this point because they're saying, they're speaking or they're, they're uh, allowing such different conversations in their spaces. And they're, not, they're, they're mutually exclusive at this point. If you're growing your mind, there's no way you could possibly listen to Dave. And if you're listening to Dave, there's no way you could possibly be growing your mind. And it, it's become seeing two very good friends work in very different directions and wanting everyone in the space to you know, still be friendly and get along and love each other uh, is becoming difficult. I, I I hope that we all stay friendly, but I don't know how you do both at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it was more concerning is you're the second person this week to say that uh, they're picking between Pete and Dave, which breaks my heart because I love them both. And I don't want to oh, make for a me, decision. it's a no brainer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I haven't listened to, to, to part of the problem in, in months. I didn't, yeah, it didn't resonate with me at all. And, right. You know, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think Dave is at his best when he's commenting on, you know, here's a clip of Brian Stelter, him and Robbie just rip it to shreds and it's really good. Yep. Um, yep. Where I, where I completely differ 
or where I'm not sold is like we talked about all the LP stuff and that, that divide that you're talking about between the free man beyond the wall and part of the problem is a very real thing. You see these camps kind of solidifying and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that the Liberty movement is fracturing. I don't think we need to galvanize and there's all this unity talk. I don't think that's really necessary. I think, Hey, LPMC people, if you can pull it off and it works good for you, if people want to become agorists and, and, you know, decentralize and get into local communities that can nullify this stuff, then good for them, whatever works. Mm -hmm. Um, but Hey, okay, Adam. So we're coming up on time and this is a new segment that we're doing with our guests, depending on, um, how serious they are. You know, we wouldn't play this game with somebody like Dr. Stephen Hicks, who we just interviewed, who's like a no, very serious. You, that's yeah. the one person you should have played this game <laughs> because they would have made that episode just that much better to see oh, God. You who you wanted to fucking roundhouse in the mouth or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So are you ready for our rapid fire segment to close right, out the show? Do let's do it. All right. Number one, what is more likely to be true? Donald Trump is a Russian asset or we landed on the moon in 1969. <laughs> I, I, I think we landed on the moon. Yes. Okay. Okay. Number two, who's the hotter milf, Christy Nome or Sarah Palin circa 2012? Oh, I mean, Christy Nome is the hottest milf. I don't even go all the way back to her birth. Probably. I mean, it, oh my God, are you kidding me? Holy shit. It's not even close. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, I'm partial to Sarah Palin. I think maybe because of the glasses, but um, okay. Well, there's, number there's three. There's also that idiocy factor. There's a little bit of attraction to moronic women. So maybe there's that, but Christy Nome actually has some intelligence. So I'm, yeah, I don't know where the breaker is there. <laughs> Number three, would you rather give Joe Biden his nightly sponge bath or JB Pritzker a full body deep tissue massage? I don't know who the second person is. Oh, you know, okay. JB Pritzker, okay. you got to, we got to pull up a picture. He's, he's our, our dear our leader here in Illinois, our governor. See, I and told you, he doesn't get any airtime with Cuomo and, and he wants to be a rock star. He should, he yeah. should be right up there with Cuomo and all <laughs> those guys. Was it, was it a sponge bath with Biden? Was that the first part of the question? Yeah. You know that he gets a nightly sponge yeah, bath. I'll, we know I'll that sponge that's a thing. Down. I feel like we could have like a guy to guy moment there. We, yeah, we that's the way safer bet. Like you, you can yeah. look up Pritzker afterwards, but that's the way safer bet because at least you have the soap and water going there. It's going to mitigate versus you'll see Pritzker. He looks like uh, a Chicago was a person. I would say at any time I would get to spend with Joe Biden, having a conversation in person would be a blessing from the Lord God almighty. So I would <laughs> easily take that as the option. You can have him tell you stories about the depression while you're like putting his <laughs> shampoo in. He, he, um, okay. he, he could read me sweet nothings. I'll take it. <laughs> so number four, the FBI arrests you for domestic terrorism. What song do they play on repeat to get you to talk? Oh my God. So it's got to be a song I hate. Um, yes. An anything by Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> or, or Beastie Boys. Anything by Beastie Boys or Red Hot Chili Peppers post blood sugar sex magic. Yeah. Did not expect that, but that's, that's funny. Oh, they're both, they're uh, fucking horrendous fans. <laughs> okay. So on a related note, which libertarian podcaster would cut it best in prison? Uh, cut it. What do you mean by cut it? Like who would survive the best in prison? Oh, fuck. Um, well, I, I, I'm no longer considering Pete Quinone as libertarian. So I'm going to say I'm going to say Dave Smith could fucking hold his own in life. <laughs> I'm saying he can, can swing some fucking rights and probably. Hold his own <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who would do the worst? Um, Tom Woods. <laughs> I, I would say 
I think Malice would get himself in trouble. Tom Woods is a good answer. I think he's just I mean, uh, yeah, Malice bad. Lifts, lifts weights and, and knows like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, Tom Woods is pretty fucked if he ever goes to prison. Is, yeah, so. Malice does BJJ? I think so, yeah. I think that's what he's talking oh, okay. about. Yeah, yeah. He's been Me, training okay. for a couple of years now. He got all jacked up and shit. He's, he's been yeah, all yeah. now. He's all big and big and pumped up. Yeah, he's a ripped little fella. Um, okay, number six. Would you rather eat gourmet ice cream with Nancy Pelosi or smoke Parmesan cheese with Hunter Biden? <laughs> uh, I I can't do. I I, I would I would um, I, I there would be a nap violation if I ever got in the same room with Nancy Pelosi. So I'm just going to go with anything <laughs> Hunter Biden because at least that dude like smokes crack and it's kind of fun. Uh, there's no way I could possibly, I'm not going to fed posts on your shit. I'm not going to tell you what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, horrendous human being. <laughs> if you could TP one politician's house, who would it be? Mm, TP. Jeez. Uh, hmm. By TP, you mean, no, oh, I'm not going to fed post. Sorry. No, I said I wasn't going to do that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let, let's go with Newsom. I mean, anything I can do to antagonize the worst governor in the country just antagonize the fuck out of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, TP Newsom's house. Fair enough. I All right. Last question. Yeah. There was a little lag there. Um, okay. Last question. Who would win in a fight between Ben Shapiro and Rachel Maddow? Oh, Rachel Maddow. Are you kidding? Jeez. I thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Ben. No. So a uh, dude, a, a funny, if you don't mind me saying a, a funny, uh, uh, line from the Matt and <laughs> conversation, uh, Matt was talking about Ben Shapiro and he said, um, Ben Shapiro a hundred years ago would have been an anarchist and 200 years ago would have been a witch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I it's totally really funny. Fucking lost my shit. Yeah. I thought so, that was great. So Matt was my first episode back when it was just my show. Mm -hmm. Um, he's my first guest and, and it was kind of interesting listening on Pete. It was so much was him saying the same things. He's kind of mm -hmm. like, he must have his bit down like a, like a stand up skit. Cause he, mm -hmm. he monologued the same thing. Like I heard probably, 10 different lines he said in my first episode and because he's it's what he's into and what he reads but he said the exact same thing on my first episode and i was yeah. like holy shit i never thought about that but it's he talked about mental small bug um the only thing is we recorded like the day after the election so it's interesting hearing mm -hmm. him contrast that mm -hmm. with right now but he's definitely more fired up um yes now i I uh, I love Matt. I, I love listening to him talk. I think he's very interesting, and he's he he actually challenges you know a lot of the beliefs that I I would say either hold or used to hold in the recent past. Um, and it was funny. I mean, he came on here a second time to talk about Trump, like managing to pull off the the coup and and remain president January twentieth for over two and, hours. Uh, yeah, for over two hours. And he was sold up until like January. I think it was January 6th where he's like, okay, it's not happening. But um, I think he was just like hedging his bets. Like if I'm right about this, it is going to catapult me yeah. to be like, you know, chief. So I, I respect the hustle. You know, I think it was, mm -hmm. he was doing a, a little dude. bit of a bit. Yeah. Well, but, if, um, if you don't put the ideas out there and you hold them in, someone else will come up with them next and they might not uh, think about them as well as you do. So it, it's better to go out there and be vulnerable and risk something in public and put your thoughts out there and see how they're disseminated or, or batted around with other people. And if you're, if you're right or you're onto something, then other people will help you work towards those goals or those ideas and you'll do it together. And that's something that I think I appreciate about this little in-group that I'm uh, lucky to be a part of is that they're not afraid to go out there and say things and, and maybe be wrong because it's not about being right first. It's not like CNN. It's 
well, someone has to say it and, and we have to be we have to be vulnerable enough for someone else to disagree and, and work this out and try to figure out where we're going. The, the worst thing you can do is just parrot other people's ideas from 50 years ago. So that's why I appreciate these these um, ladies and gentlemen so much. Absolutely. So, uh, Adam, that will bring us to a close. Um, you want to plug your podcast or how to follow you on Twitter? Any other plugs you want to get in? Yeah. So you, you can follow me on any social media platform, although the only one I'm really on anymore is Twitter. It's I am Adam Patrick, which should be pretty easy because I am Adam Patrick. And then it's you're talking over me, Y-E-R, talking with no G over me. Pretty colloquial. You're talking over me. Um, podcast, you can get that on any podcatcher and and youtube it's there it doesn't have video yet but it will when i figure out how to do this and there will be a sub stack coming in the future but for right now that's pretty much it and, and I, I you want to message me or dm me or whatever on any of those platforms facebook twitter happy to have a conversation happy to talk happy for you to tell me why uh i'm right or wrong and uh and we'll get there as polite and as adult uh as adult as possible so thank you very much guys Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And guys, uh, please go to iTunes, rate and review our show if you don't mind. And uh, we will be at Freedom Fest July 21st through 24th. So, Oh, also, Mike, we should, uh, we should start plugging our Twitter. We never have. And I just started using Twitter this week. So let me see. Okay. Our Twitter handle is at Paul's to the walls with a Z at the end. At with Paul's Z. to the walls yes. with the Z because it was taken. We, I mean, we had a Twitter handle, you know, since we started the show. And we never really used it other than to just like post episodes. I'm actually trying to engage more at, like the last few days. And it's, it's fun. Twitter is much more uh, engaging than Facebook. I have to say mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're very uh, not tech savvy, but we're learning. So <laughs> I'm on a, I'm on a, a, my, my laptop that I'm recording on right now is from Obama's first term, but I'm going to upgrade <laughs> pretty shortly. So. I think I'm, my, mine's from Reagan's first term. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. It's just the rest of the house. All right. <laughs> gotcha. Well, cool. Adam, thank you so much for your time. And guys, go over and uh, subscribe to his show. Thanks. Thanks, fellas.